We all face similar challenges when trading creativity for money. Around this invisible campfire, we'll listen to the kind and kindred voices of women in design and learn the stories below the fold. I'm Erin Anaker, a people enthusiast at my nimble little business, Pixology. Whether it's teaching her children about entrepreneurship, designing a brand strategy for a client, or helping women in Rwanda gain exposure and sell their handmade products. And being a kind of problem solver, I just thought, I can get this out into the world. Issa Seminega always has her eyes open to the world around her in constant search for inspiration in unexpected places. With young kids at home, how do you maintain sanity and still manage your design business? It's definitely hard. Um, you know, it's a struggle to juggle it all. But the biggest uh, thing that's helped me is just to let go of feeling like my life has to be perfect and I have to be perfect in every area at all times because it's just impossible. I really just would say, well, I mean, nothing's, I mean, I can't, you can't do it all. You just can't. And there's all these <laughs> yeah. conversations about trying to, you know, how do you do it all and how can you juggle it all? And you just can't. So for me, it's always family first and my children, especially first. Everything else comes after that. Usually and after that, because I've got my business, it'll be like clients <laughs> next. And then like housework will be like far, far down on the list, <laughs> you know. So, you know, we don't, we have toys around and paint around and all that kind of thing. And, you know, I'm not that first <laughs> about cleaning it up. Um, and yeah, I just kind of feel like, you know, th those things are, aren't as important to me. Like, you know, obviously as long as your house is hygienic, mm -hmm. but you know, the rest of it is just, I just try and do as much work as I can when the children are in bed rather than having them see me on the computer, um, or looking at my phone at all the time and just try and engage with them and, and just be with them when I'm with them. Yeah. Present. Yeah. And even then they still do think that my favorite thing to do is work. <laughs> and it was a shock to hear that, you know, because I, I've made a point of trying not to show that so much huh. or trying to be, you know, I've took emails off my phone because, you know, you're, you're always looking at it and trying to say, oh, is that the client like replying mm -hmm. to the files I sent over, which is always, like, I always hate even sending them over. I just delay it as, well, <laughs> as long as I can. But it's one of those things where, you know, for me, I just put my children first. And that was like the biggest thing with starting my own business and working from home because I work from home as well, was just to make sure that, you know, everything I did was with them at the center. And so it complements that rather than takes away from my relationship with them. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I know it's different for everybody. I'm, I'm lucky in that my husband works, so I don't have to work if I don't want to. You know, I mean, I don't really need to, but, but I need to like in my kind of as of my, who I am. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, for your own sanity. But, yeah. And so, you know, I know everyone's circumstances are different and, you know, I would never judge somebody who, you know, wanted to take on sort of every project that came their way and things like that. But for me, especially at this time when my children are very young, the most important thing for me is just to be as present as I can with them. So if it means I sacrifice, you know, sleep or, you know, have a house that doesn't look perfect all the time, then <laughs> that's fine, <laughs> you know, um, but that's the main way that I do it is just not sleeping as much as most normal people. Yeah. <laughs> do you feel like that's a sacrifice you have to make to sacrifice building your business for your family? Uh, not really for me. It's not been a sacrifice because I kind of like 
growing slowly anyway. I mean, I, I've never been one to really promote my business or advertise or anything like that. It's all sort of happened organically and it's grown at a pace that I'm happy with. Um, I do think, I mean, I did have the opportunity about a year ago to, to see, well, my husband sort of said, oh, you know, you always say you don't have enough time. So let's put Lily, my daughter, into, um, let's put her into childcare. And I was like, no, I want that time with her. But a part of me looking back thinks maybe I was a bit scared to kind of put all my energies into my business and have like be full time hmm. at that point. But I do, I am really happy that I had that extra time with her. And she'll be going to school full time in September because they start here four at four. Um, and you know, I'm I am really happy that I had that time extra time with her that I wouldn't have if I'd have put her into childcare earlier. And while you're building a business, it's nice to be able to not have that extra pressure of okay, my business has to really be working perfectly at this point. Hmm. I've been able to experiment and grow and decide sort of what I want to do as I evolve as a person. And that's been really helpful for me. And your kids are just a few years younger than you were when you first discovered design. Can you tell me about visiting your grandmother's workplace? Well, my grandmother was a tea lady for an advertising agency in London and quite a big one called Leo Burnett. And the tea lady literally just, I don't know if they even have tea ladies now, but um, in those days, she just made the tea. And, you know, there was it's like a big studio office advertising agency and she would make the tea and she'd chat to everybody. And we lived up in the countryside, so we used to go and visit her on the weekends. And for some reason, one weekend, she took me and my two sisters and my cousins with her. And we just sat in this, like, tea room eating biscuits <laughs> and around. And she was just going around. I mean, there must have been people in who were working on the weekend. So she was there to obviously give them their tea and biscuits and whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And I looked around and that was the first time I really saw what advertising was and what designers do. And it really just connected the dots for me that I could create art for a living and it could be a commercial venture. I could do it as a job Mm. because I'd always been told that I couldn't. So for me, that was the first time I think I was must have been about 10 or 11 by then. So it's the first time I really realized that this is something that you could do as a career. So I took the opportunity and started talking to the um, some of the designers in there. Well, I mean, so, well, I wouldn't say that I asked them the questions, more like they sort of said to me, oh, you know, are you interested in what we're doing? And, and so we just started chatting and they would tell me the kind of things I would need to study at school, what degree I should do if I wanted to get into the same thing that they were doing. Um, so pretty much from then I knew what I wanted to do. Hmm. That's so lovely. So when and why did you start your own business? Um, I started my business after being made redundant, actually. <laughs> In the UK, you have like a year's maternity leave and then you're supposed to come back to your job. Um, like legally it's like in the laws and everything here Mm. and a few weeks before I was due back with my son I asked for flexible working hours because the nursery I was trying to the childcare I was trying to put him into they only opened till six six o'clock and I would have had to leave at five to get there or something like that and they said no because you know we can't have you leave at that time and even though I offered to reduce my lunch break all those different kind of things like to try and work something out they said no Hmm. because they needed me so much 
<laughs> which is ironic because then like literally a week later they made me redundant which obviously is com- you know just conflicting yeah. um <laughs> so i ended up sort of going through I'm, i knew my legal rights and everything so i challenged them and everything and i managed to get a payout from them and that gave me the luxury of thinking you know what i might actually finally try and start a business and work with small creative businesses and help them promote their businesses instead of working with big businesses and fat cats who are all taking the money while the little people have nothing. So I was like on a crusade to help with these little <laughs> little creative businesses. Um, so, you know, I planned and I did my business plan and worked everything out. And it that was still a few months, but I never started because I was just too scared. I didn't want to fail. Like a lot of people never want to fail. So mm. it wasn't until then that summer um I lost a baby at 16 weeks pregnant which we knew had chromosome problems because they'd discovered it earlier on in scans and things Mm. but it was but they hadn't explained how we were gonna you know how it was gonna happen and all that kind of thing the specifics and it was just the most traumatic terrifying thing I've ever experienced even to this day and um I bet a week later I got on a plane to Rwanda so it's a bit of a crazy thing um, so it wasn't until I got there that I kind of thought, you know what, my problems are nothing compared to some of the people I'm seeing here hmm. and I'm going to just do it when I get back after, cause then the baby had a funeral and everything after that, I'm going to start my business. So I got back and I did wow. and I just got on with it. It's interesting that the fear of failure can cause people to fail to start. Definitely. You know, and I've worked with a lot of small business owners from so in the last sort of four nearly five years I've been working for myself now and fear is one of the biggest things stopping people achieving you know what they want to achieve and, and growing their business and right it is scary to take a risk or to actually stand up and say you know what this is what I want this is my dream and how you know you don't want people to turn around and laugh at you or to ridicule you and just to say you know, who do you think you are? You can't do that. You should be the same as us. Just get a normal job. Um, you know, it's scary, especially if you are a creative person, you're putting your heart and soul and energy into whatever mm-hmm. you're creating. Yeah. And it is really, you know, hard to have people then not understand it. And I think a lot of small business owners, I mean, we're spread out all over the world and you're not necessarily surrounded by other like-minded people, you know, in your local community, you know, a lot of family and friends maybe don't have businesses. So, it can be even harder to start because, you know, you just don't want to have those people who who know you best mm-hmm. sort of, you know, question your choices. But I do think that I mean, one of the things I try to do through my blog and through my newsletter is just to kind of encourage people to just take a risk. And you don't need to make a huge leap straight away. You can take small steps and, you know, and eventually you'll get enough confidence and courage. And especially if you are part of a community or you're finding a community online of people who feel the same, mm-hmm. then, you know, you can go out there and, and show the world what you can do. Because I think it's a real shame to have talented people out there who are afraid of sharing their talent when the world needs to see it. Hmm. So you had this really traumatic event followed by a moment of clarity when you went to Rwanda. What other elements were in place that made you feel like you could actually do it? Like you could step out on your own and take that risk? One of the things that actually from the trip, the first trip to Rwanda that I had was just seeing 
the difference that having a business is over there compared to how it is over here well, in the UK or even, you know, in the kind of Western world. I was brought up to kind of, you know, you write your business plan, you go to the bank, you lend some money or borrow, sorry, borrow some money, you know, you get an office and all those things. And I went to Rwanda and you see people, they had businesses, they were self-employed, but it wasn't the same. You know, it's literally they grew their fruit and they would take it to the market. Mm. Um, to sell it and it wasn't such a big thing it was just Uh they did it for survival and it wasn't they didn't have the opportunity to sit and be like oh I'm so worried like about starting a business they just got on with it because they had to and there's such simplicity in that yeah and it really just made me think why am I spending months and months and months when I know I can help people with the service that I wanted to provide I'm spending all this time just worrying about me and being scared and worrying in case I fall flat on my face and people laugh at me or whatever when there's other people out there who literally haven't got a choice and they're just getting on with things so that they can feed their kids and feed their families and have a roof over their heads and it literally was a survival thing and so I realized that I just needed to stop yeah stop fearing things and just get on with it and take a leap and that's what I did. And now a few years into your business What's your philosophy on finding and staying inspired? The biggest source of inspiration for me is just actually going out and just exploring and living life. Um, I do think that I'm probably more creative just because I am not at my computer screen 100 hours a day, or obviously that's not possible, but you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because I'm, I mean, so I do worry actually when I work, start working full time, whether I'll still be able to have that. So the morning, at the moment, in the mornings, I will play with my daughter and we'll go to parks. And like yesterday, we went to like the local school who, that was selling things from their allotment, little plants, and they had animals and hens and things. <laughs> and when you're doing things, you know, it sounds, you know, it sounds even silly, but when you do, especially we're in the city and stuff, so it's not even as normal for kids to see animals and be able to touch them. But, you know, you're doing all these things. And while you're doing that, you may be seeing a colour next to a different colour, like through in nature, or you'll see a certain shape or you'll see a pattern in the rain on the ground and on the pavement or a shape in the clouds in the sky. And, you know, it does sound a bit weird, but I really do feel so inspired by just living and also seeing how people interact with each other, seeing, like, just watching people. I love just watching people and just listening to them and hearing their stories and just seeing how they interpret the world and how they make their selection if they want to buy something. And I think you can really learn so much, but just by looking and listening to other people and then also by, yeah, just going out and living and sometimes stepping away from your computer, put your phone away and just actually take it in everything that's around you. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's where I would say that it's just just through living I'll get inspiration and being a keen observer. Yeah, well, that as well. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, but I've realised, you know, just to embrace it because it's who I am. But I am one of those people who has always just been curious about the world and about people and to see other cultures and you know just experience whatever I can. And you know, like I'm, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not really. I don't really tweet that much, but I do read a lot on there, you know, just quickly mm-hmm. just scrolling down. And I just find it interesting to just always see how people talk to each other and interact. And for me, that's really interesting. Hey there, listeners. We've reached intermission. 
When I first got serious about starting this podcast, I wanted to partner with a company I felt aligned with my values and my mission. That is, a company that puts people first and believes in investing in the design community to make it a better place. Campaign Monitor is that company. They have a fantastic email marketing product and are also really lovely people. Here's a little message from them. Hi there, this is Ross from Campaign Monitor. I'd like to say how happy we are to support Below the Fold in 2014. Campaign Monitor helps designers by providing the tools and inspiration needed to send beautiful email campaigns. If you're looking for ideas for your next project, be sure to check out our top 100 email marketing campaigns at campaignmonitor.com slash top 100. Thanks so much to Campaign Monitor. And now back to the show. So you've got your main business that you did design work through, and then you have Happy Piece. Can you tell me a little bit about that and why you created it? Well, Happy Piece is like my passion project, really. It's like um, a social enterprise I started after I visited Rwanda for the second time. And I went and visited a charity um, cooperative there who were making woven baskets, sorry, and jewellery out of recycled paper. Hmm. And, you know, it was just amazing to see the things that they could create. And they'd been trained to have these vocational skills, but they were creating these products and nobody would see them. They were just in this little room at the side. And unless you actually came off the beaten track and visited that charity, you wouldn't see them. And being a kind of problem solver, I just thought, I can get this out into the world. So um, I did and started Happy Peace. And really it's about, I mean, they're happy people making happy, colourful kind of products for the world. They're not a factory. You know, they sing and they dance and the children are playing nearby and the old Mm. ones are like getting educated by teachers that they've got in there. And for me, it's so important to try and sell their products for them because they just can't do that there they you know they don't have access to the internet they don't have the means to kind of get the, their products obviously out into the world but they don't have a good postal system even to even sell within the country and so yeah so I've tried to just slowly because it's literally something that I can only do as and when so I've put the products up on the website and when they sell they sell which is great but they tend to sell quite fast so it means the website always looks a bit bare um so I'm but I mean that's a good thing we've had like quite a bit of press in the UK and Molly Makes magazine did like a feature on me and and the cooperative and the products and um you know a few of the newspapers and their their magazines babble.com featured us as well um so it's been pretty amazing because it's not been something that I've done full-time so I'm at a point where I probably do need to put a bit more time into it um, I'm trying to redo the website on a new pla- e-commerce platform for this summer and try and get some more custom-made products in, collaborate with some people and see where we can take it. And you and your husband are actually considering moving to Rwanda. Why is that? Well, he's from there originally and his fam- he still has family there, his dad, and he's got brothers and sisters there. But really the main reason why we're attempting to move there is because we feel like our children will have a better quality of life than over here in London. Um, and why is that? Just we, I don't know, it's hard to kind of explain because I think unless you kind of see England and you kind of here in this kind of area, you can't 
it's it's definitely hard to explain because I think the image that people have of England and especially London is very different to what the reality is, especially sort of south of London. But um, you know, growing up, the kids just all now want to be sort of you know they want to get rich quick and all that kind of thing and and they just don't have the morals and just the whole media culture and everything it's just so different to how it was even just a few years ago when I grew up Hmm. and somewhere like Rwanda is still very behind (laughs) in that kind of sense and it's very safe um and there's just so much opportunity for a better life I mean also I was my parents took me to another country I went to Venezuela. We actually lived there for a little bit when I was very young. And so I went to school there and everything. So for me, it's not it's not strange. You know, it's not a big deal to move to another country, especially when you've got family there. You know, it's easy for us to find a house there. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's just not a, a weird thing, whereas maybe for some people it is. But my mum came from another country. My dad came from another country. And it's just something that my family, you know, do. But we're hoping, we're saving and... <laughs> We hopefully we'll go next year we'll see and what do you hope to do while you're there I'll continue on doing my kind of branding and design work but I hope to grow happy peace and try and just help sort of establish design in Rwanda as a means to kind of innovate and just be more creative because I think the biggest thing and actually my biggest struggle with actually us moving there the only thing that I've really worried a little bit about is the fact that the education there is very much you know, you learn it and you learn it very well. It's very good education, but they don't really have the same creative arts and all that kind of, those Mm -hmm. kind of subjects. But obviously I could obviously educate my kids on that because I do that anyway. Sure. But so there is a big need in Rwanda, I think, to get more of, I mean, the women who, you know, who sort of survived from the genocide is mainly women, a lot of women, because a lot of men were killed. They all have these skills now. They've all been trained on weaving and, and making all these products, but they haven't got the kind of design principles or design skills to kind of come up with their own unique products. They'll just make uh. what they've been taught to make. And there's such an opportunity for them to really just learn how to do that and how to come up with their own ideas. And then I think they really can have sort of longer term sustainable businesses. So I'm quite excited to go there and maybe, I don't know, I've got this kind of idea of, having a kind of workshop where people can just come and just play with the materials and just learn. Yeah. But through, but through play, you know, not really just like as, oh, lesson number one is this, you know. <laughs> I just want people just to like get in there, you know, and just play. And I just don't think people do that enough. And just, yeah, see what they can come up with. Have you heard of Firebelly University? No, I haven't. It's an MBA program that doesn't just focus on design theory, but also incorporates entrepreneurship as well. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the kind of thing that, I mean, for me, when I studied design management at university, it was all about design from a kind of business perspective or as a problem solving exercise and using the principles of design to create better products for people um, and better experiences. And I just think that not so many people are really learning those skills and they see design as like the icing on the cake, if you like, or, mm-hmm. or the, you know, the kind of final decoration of whatever product it is that you're making. But really, it should be implemented at a much earlier stage. And I think it's something that it shouldn't just be designers that know how to really design for people and for humans. It should be everybody should know those skills because it can help in every type of business. I really do believe that. Absolutely. And, yeah. um, 
and not only that but even just being able to identify what the real problem is yeah so that then you can find the right solution rather than just creating for for the problem that you think is there and then actually it's you know I mean I get a lot of clients and you know they've gone and they've said oh I need a better better website because they think it's the website that's the problem but really it's that they're not getting the traffic to the website they even had in the first place before they spent that ten thousand dollars <laughs> or whatever you know and then they, they find that after they've spent all that money and you know sometimes it's I, even just yeah just identifying what the problem is and then doing that and then you can go on to the next step if you need to hmm. yeah aren't your kids starting their own business <laughs> they are it sounds so crazy because they're five and three but I think especially with my son my son was the one who suggested it he's five and he I think came up with the idea yeah oh, and I think so he's awesome. just he is such a like he really absorbs everything around him and he obviously has heard me talk about business I guess with my husband and and just he, he loves learning he he can he just loves facts and just learning about the world, not even, I mean, he's not so fussed with sitting there and writing or whatever, but he started reading Harry Potter when he was five, you know, <laughs> like about six months ago, he can really read, like, you know, they just can't even believe it. Wow, <laughs> at his school. Yeah. And he just loves learning and just experiencing the world again. Like, I mean, he, he's like how I was as a child, but I was very sort of creative in the sense of artistic as well, whereas he doesn't really care so much about, the art stuff he's more interested in building things and making something because it's yeah filling a problem or a need and my sister went on holiday and brought back a whole load of shells from Portugal and so they started painting those as well my young so Lily started painting them and then Joseph was like we could start a shop um, and it started from that, literally. And, you know, they looked quite good because Lily has quite an eye for colour and everything. She paints so much. She can she can really put them together and she's putting little dots on them. And I was thinking, oh, yeah, they could. And so he got out a piece of paper, he got out his, like, marker pen and just started writing this list. And he put, you know, prices and blog, start a blog and all this on this list. And I was like, where have you learned all that? And he's like, oh, I've been listening to you. And he just knew, oh, like, so awesome. Like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna start a blog. And then he's like, I'm gonna write a book so that I can help other children start like start their businesses or show them how to do it. And I was like, oh my god, he's five, you know. And I wasn't taking it seriously at first because I thought, you know, how can they have a bit? They're five, you know, they're just little shell painted shells and stones and things. But then I realized, you know what, even if whatever comes from it the process and the journey that is really going to help them to grow as people Mm -hmm. and no matter whatever happens with it you know even if they sell well I mean they'll sell some because obviously I've got family who will will buy it (laughs) (laughs) but you know I'm I'm just so proud of them oh it's so great you know it's just so crazy to think you know but then you know I don't really let them go on computer games and all those kind of things and obviously I guess when you're you haven't got those kind of things um occupying your mind you've got the ability to then create all these other ideas so it's interesting he's like my my son's teacher actually said she can tell that the children who are just kind of glued to tablets and and phones playing games because they can't communicate at this age at Mm. five and six they can't communicate because nobody talks to them they just stare at these games and they're very good at using it all but they can't talk yet and or can't talk properly, can't form sentences. 
they are not interested about learning in, about the world and things. And and I think it's a real shame. And mm-hmm. I want to keep my children, like, not just keep them young, but I want to have them keep that innocence of, like, you know, we've got an idea and we're going to do it. And, and just to believe in themselves. I want them to know, know that and keep that for as long as possible because, obviously, as they get older, they will lose that um, a bit more. So we'll see. So... That reminds me, when I was about 10 years old, my sister and I got crazy with the hot glue gun and started gluing shells together. (laughs) And we called them shell creatures and begged our parents to have a garage sale almost every weekend just so we could sell our product. And um, we even gave the business a little name, Sun USA, which is super cheesy. (laughs) But we had so much fun getting on the computer and using clip art to create our logo and business cards and... We just thought we were the coolest. You know what? I think that when you're young, you do think you are the best at everything. (laughs) But it's a good thing because, like I said earlier, you know, as you get older, you start to think, oh, I'm not good enough and -and so-and-so is better than me and I can't do this because and you give yourself reasons why you can't achieve something. And it's a shame because you know everyone has something to offer something of value to offer to the world mm-hmm. and I think as when you're children you you do just believe well you don't know any difference so you just believe in yourself and I wish more children kind of kept that as they grew older and as we grow into adults and get into the world and people start saying to you oh but you shouldn't be doing that and then you start to kind of mold yourself into what other people want you to be I think it's really sad I mean I don't know I just wish that the world wasn't like that but it is and I've spent so long so many years of my life just being afraid to be myself or you know wishing that I could be like more like other people whether it's in like looks or shape or weight or or intelligence or whatever and it's just such a waste of a life you know just to wish that you were different to who you are and so yeah I always just try and tell people and even you know, for my my children, is just to tell them, you know, you are who you are, so just embrace it. And it doesn't matter what other people think of you because they're not you. As long as you're happy with yourself, mm-hmm. then you can go on, on to achieve good things. Hmm. So is your son actually going to start a blog of his own? He is. They might actually have a sponsor, but like a, I don't know, there's, there's a company who's interested because through Twitter, they heard about <laughs> heard about it. It's so crazy to me. I don't even know how this happened. But um and so they might be helping him and supporting him. It's like an e commerce platform. What? So it is just <laughs> it is crazy. And they're like, oh we're so excited. It's so rad and very American. And sorry to all the Americans. <laughs> For us it's just, you know, it's like, what what? Seriously? I was like, but it's only little shells. But, you know, they're excited. And I suppose it's not normal for a five-year-old to come up with a business. But <laughs> so it's amazing. But honestly, I mean, I've I've let go and just been like, you know, it's your business. You do, do what you have to do. And then when you need to ask me a question, then I'll help you. But I haven't, you know, other than obviously things like e-commerce platforms and things like that for an online shop, they don't mm-hmm. know about that. So I've had to educate them on those kind of things. But literally like coming up for a name it was like it's going to be shell shop at first (laughs) and I was like okay but you've got rocks as well and so of course then it got them thinking about other things and honestly we spent so long coming up with a name and 
and my husband was here actually and I'm glad he was so he knows that it wasn't me that came up with the name um, <laughs> <laughs> because I think he thought oh it's, it's just she's going to go off on one of her projects or whatever but, um, but you yeah. know and it took ages and and Joseph would come home from school and he'd say oh what about this and then we'd check the domain name was free and all this and so he's you know the whole process he's been a part of the whole way and it's been really interesting to see how he's kind of learned about things like if he wants to expand into something else later, what is going to be the core values of the business. And so their idea is that it will always be colourful things. And mm. so they chose the name Colourful Forever. And um, the domain name was available. So, of course, we got it and we checked it all well, in the UK anyway. And I was using the name and all that kind of thing. And, and you know, so he's got they've really gone through the process. And then mm, wow. for the logo, of course, I thought, oh, I'd love to just do a logo and all that kind of thing. But no, I just let him do it. And I said, okay, imagine it was on a t-shirt. What would it look like? And so then he started all his sketches and, and, you know, we tweaked it and then we scanned it into the computer and tweaked it a bit more. And he's, he, you know, he's been a part of the whole thing. Wow. And I think that really just those lessons are going to just teach him more than I ever could have if I'd have wanted to teach him, you know, because he's actually learning on the, on the job, but you know, he's learning as he's doing it. Well, and essentially, you're just providing the structure and the knowledge of the process. And he gets to go through that and ask himself those questions so that he can come up with his own solutions. Yeah. And, and even like, because I said to him, okay, you need to find, because we've got all these shells and things, we need to find a way to store them, separate them out. How, what are we going to, they're going to just be numbered and people can buy like number one, number two, or are you going to choose names or are you going to, you know, it's like, yeah, we'll have names and he's naming them after people and things. So <laughs> they're going to be like Bobby, the shell. <laughs> <laughs> Know, and we'll be walking down the street and he's like oh I've thought of another name like Vera <laughs> you know and just really random names but they're short enough that he can actually spell them and you know it's just like let him get on with it and I'm just so proud that he's just even thinking about things like this but I just want to encourage it and you never know you know where it could take him but it's interesting to see how excited they are about it especially I mean my daughter she's just happy to paint so give her anything she'll paint it so she's just so excited Thanks so much, Isa, for being on the show. I am so thrilled to be able to produce Below the Fold, and I love getting to know all of these kind and kindred women in design. What would be even more awesomer is if you were involved too. On May 1st, I'm launching Spark. It's as if an online community had a love child with a mastermind group and then named it after their passionate affair. Well, maybe that's a little weird. Anyway, Spark is for independent women in design with small businesses and big ambitions. Learn more at Pixology is facilitating. That's pixology.is slash facilitating. Also, one more little shout out to my friends over at Campaign Monitor. I've been a super user of theirs since 2010 for two major reasons. Number one, they allow you to design your own custom newsletter themes and get this, not only implement them using a super simple markup, but manage it in an intuitive, beautiful UI. And two, you can have sub-accounts to manage the custom newsletter campaigns you designed for your clients. It's brilliant. Check them out at campaignmonitor.com. Music for Below the Fold was composed by the talented Mike Edmondson, with engineering help from Rob Edmondson. Until next week, thanks so much for listening. <laughs>